Welcome to Troblack TV's weekly podcast where we feature the world's most extreme athletes. This week, we're proud to introduce Katie Lambert, who's been traveling the globe with her husband Ben, free climbing and filming many of the world's most iconic routes in places like Verdun, France, Oleana, Spain, Colombia, Zion, and Yosemite National Park, where she's sent routes like the Phantom, the Phoenix, Peace. Iran Calc 513D Masterpiece in Tuolumne Meadows and Leaning Tower, all free in a day. Just to name a few. Not only has Katie been an incredible inspiration for so many women, but for those who are really short. Standing five foot tall, Katie has proven that anything is possible if you put your mind to it. And she's clearly demonstrated this with her latest film, A Bird's Perspective. Katie, welcome to our show. First of all, uh, thank you for doing this interview with us. We really appreciate that. And I really sure, want to start off. For, yeah. Thanks for no. reaching out. Yeah. No, I've been following your videos and reading your blogs for <laughs> feels like years now. And uh, it just, seeing your uh, last video, I just want to say how much I enjoyed your film, Bird's Perspective. Cool. You really, thanks. You, yeah, you really bared your soul and went deep with that one. Yes, um, it was funny. I mean, it was like a year in the making, um, and it started off, you know, like way worse, and then throughout like the process of editing and rewriting and all that stuff, it got much better, but still I was like, oh, Ben, I don't know if I want you to put it out there, and then I was like, you know what, whatever, just do it. <laughs> well, you know, you were you concerned about the response you're going to get from the film? I guess so, yeah. What was your concern? I'm not sure. Um, I guess it's just like in a way, you know, it's always like hard to look at yourself. And so it was like I was sick of hearing my own voice and I was just like kind of sick of the whole process of making the film. And so I was kind of over it. And so I was just almost like projecting myself. Like, I don't know, people are going to be like over it in a way. But no one had seen it. So that's kind of a ridiculous thought. Um I don't know. I was just, like, kind of negative about it. Or not really negative, but just apprehensive. Like, I'm not sure if I really want to put this out there. One, because we put in all of this effort, and like I say, I'm kind of sick of it now. And then two, like, I don't know if people are going to appreciate it or not. Well, uh, just coming from this end here, when I watched it, I actually watched it, like, three or four times. I was going, wow, bravo. Um, wow. Because, you know, that, that takes courage to do that, you know, because you actually, in reading your blog that you did the year before about that, I mean, you really almost bared your soul more in that than you did the video, other than, you know, yeah. we get to see, see you in person. Um, right. What inspired the uh, film? Did you did you create a script for it beforehand, or did you just wing it as you went along? So it all started when we were in Chattanooga training, and we were just filming ourselves training, and we initially weren't sure what we were going to do, like with the footage or with our training. And then uh, we decided to go to Slovenia, and so we're like, well, let's just keep filming like, the whole thing, and we'll just put together like a short video, maybe um, we'll either like, produce it and feature it ourselves, or maybe we'll like, sell it to someone, we're not sure, but let's just like, document the whole process. Um, and then when we went, I mean, so when we went back to picture it before we left for Slovenia, and then I sprained my ankle, and we were like, well, it's kind of like a perfect twist in the story, especially if we go on the trip anyway and see what happens. And then it 
so it kind of just started to develop itself, the storyline. And, um, yeah, uh, and then eventually, um, meeting the physio in Sylvania was really cool. We wanted to film him. Um, yeah, like I said, just kind of started to develop itself. And like, well, it's kind of a unique story, or at least it's a story and not just like about climbing the route or not climbing the route. So, yeah, we just kind of made it as it presented itself. Well, uh, very inspiring. I mean, uh, we're going to get into that a lot later here, but, uh, you know, Bird's perspective, was that one of your routes that you were intending to send from the very beginning? So that's actually the route that I'm climbing on. Um, and in Slovene, it's called Pisa Perspective, which is Bird's Perspective. Ah, got it. Well, you know, it looked really, uh, judging by the holes and the steepness of the route, it looked like it was pretty stiff. What was that rating? Yeah, um, 13 plus. Yeah, it looked it. Bravo. <laughs> Especially after yeah, what you've yeah. been through. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, without giving much of the film away, I mean, because I'm really encouraging everyone to to watch it because it really moved me deeply to to reach out to you. Um, you talked about your choices, how every move upward represents a choice in your life. Could you tell us more yeah. about that? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's like every choice or decision we've made has brought us to where we presently are, which I think is really interesting. It's like, like, you could have taken the other road and you would have ended up somewhere else. You wouldn't be where you are right now. Um, so it's like every single choice that I've made, especially as far as, like, following climbing as a passion and a way of life, has has brought me to, like, all these amazing places, has brought me an amazing community and group of friends. Um, I met my husband climbing in Yosemite. And it was all just because of, like, choices that I made that led up to that next moment. That's so true for all of us, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's really interesting. <laughs> I mean, it, it could change. Like, anything could change at any moment, depending on what choice you make. Yeah, and it's endless. <laughs> yeah. On a daily on a daily basis. <laughs> on a daily basis, yeah. Uh, in one of your blogs, I believe it was uh, Least Expected, you talked about goals and expectations and how it relates to happiness. Can you define the difference for goals and expectations for us? Um, yeah, so, like, for me, a goal, something like I dream about doing or that I'm really aspiring to do, and maybe it's like a bike ride or a big wall or a sport climb or a boulder problem or buying a house. And you just set everything in motion to achieve that goal. And then what starts to happen is maybe sometimes you keep achieving your goals, and so you always start to expect that you're going to continue to achieve your goals. Um, but that's not necessarily true. I mean, all kinds of things happen. You make different choices. You make wrong choices, or you make good choices. Um, and maybe the goal changes. Um, and it's not what you expected, and it can lead to disappointment. Um, and so, yeah, it's a fine it's a fine line between having a goal and striving for that goal and expecting yourself to achieve that goal. And you know what I mean? Oh yeah. How do you keep that in check? You know, because it seems like, you know, it's like you go out, like you said, you go 
going to do a big wall, and then all of a sudden it pours rain on you. Um, right. Obviously, that kind of rains on your parade, so to speak. But, yeah. um, you know, so you had this expectation that you were going to mix to the top, and, and obviously because of the weather you weren't able to. Um, it seems like that's a constant thing that we, all of us have to deal with is our expectations of what we think our life should be versus right. what it actually is. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's still like um, like a, le- a steep learning curve for me because I still continue being like, oh, no, here are my expectations again. They're like rising up and I kind of have to put them in check. And the way that I've kind of learned to do that or how to deal with myself in those situations is to just be like really grateful for where I am. Um Cause I'm really fortunate. I'm really privileged. Even just like living in this country and being able to do whatever we want to do. Um, I was lucky to be born to a middle class white family. Like all of that stuff is just luck. And I'm really grateful for that. And so I think just coming back to being thankful for what you do have kind of re, you know, I know for me, it just recenters me and being like, you know what? It's all right. It rained today. We didn't get to the top. We had to bail. It's okay. It'll be there. It's going to be there indefinitely. You know, we can try again. Mm hmm. If not this year, next year. Yeah, right. And if not next year, then maybe the next year. Or I don't know. It's like at least you try in a way. It's like if you never try, you'll never get there. That's certain. But if you try, you just might. Right. <laughs> So true. You know, one of the things I really enjoyed was your relationship that you had with the physiotherapist in Slovenia and how he could see it in your eyes that you were burdened by stress, telling you not to worry, that it was only in the mind, that the mind lives in the past and that you shouldn't live in fear, just enjoy your life. Those were powerful words coming from a physiotherapist. I mean, not what you would expect at all to hear from physiotherapists. Um, yeah, it was super powerful, actually. I, it kind of took me by surprise, and I was like, well, you know what? This is like exactly what I need to be hearing right now. This is perfect. Yeah, no kidding. It seemed like that was a turning point for you. Yeah, you know, kind of like, one, it helped sort of like slap me back into reality. Like, okay, you know, you need to be like proactive in your recovery. Like, if you want to get better, let's get better and you can't cry about it anymore. Like it's already happened. And like she says, totally in the past. So let's just move forward. And I think just like hearing those words from him and then also knowing that like, I wasn't going to damage my ankle anymore. Like it was okay to start like really pushing myself to use it again. Uh, it kind of just like, that's what I needed to be like, all right, here we go. Let's go. Let's get this going. It's just pain. That's all it is. Yep. It's just pain. Yeah, which is it was a really interesting concept for me to come to understand is that it's in the mind. I mean, sure, it hurts physically, but it's like our mind telling us, like, hey, there's something wrong right here, and you might want to, like, be careful with that. But really, you just have to, like, push through it, and your mind starts to, like, reprogram itself. That, like, oh, actually, it's okay. You can, you're okay with that situation. Yeah, it seems like every human on the planet is living with a certain amount of fear, especially in today's political environment. Um, what's your relation with fear like? Um, I mean, I definitely have fear. Uh, I mean, you know, like climbing in Zion, it's super sandy. It's definitely not granite. Um, 
it's a little scary. Like yesterday, I was like, wow, this is the most um, kind of anxious or fearful I've been climbing in a while. So it's interesting to experience that. Um, then just in general about like life and day-to-day stuff, I can't say that I am aware of living with a tremendous amount of fear or a little amount of fear, except for like I have fear about what's going to happen to the world. And I kind of um, I lament the loss of wilderness and wildness. And that, I am fearful for that. I'm fearful that we lose that completely. And I guess I could say that I feel that kind of fear all the time. I think a lot of us are. Yeah. Does that fear hold you back or does it motivate you to do something about it? It motivates me for sure. Um, Yeah, I I can remember maybe it was 15 years ago or so um, being like a little fearful or hesitant to like really go out on my own, like totally move away from the southeast, move out to the west and like really follow my dreams. And uh, I was like, you know, I'm afraid of the unknown, but it's the unknown that, like, I most desire. And so I have to just let go of that fear because it's totally holding me back from experiencing what is potentially out there. Um, And I think when I realized that, um, that actually motivated me and changed me, I think, indefinitely um, to just put that fear in check and be like, you know what? It's not rational fear. Or evaluate, like, what the fear is. Like, in climbing, if I'm afraid of falling on a certain route or something, I have to just evaluate the situation. Like, is my knot tied? Yes. Is there a ledge I'm going to hit? No. Is the fall clean? Yes. Is my fear irrational? Yes. Okay, you can proceed forward. Um, And then, like, vice versa. Like, is my knot good? Yes. Is there a ledge I'm going to hit if I fall? Yes. Okay, then maybe don't go up there. Mhm. It's kind of it's like, you know, the fear. I guess it's there to protect us, but we just have to determine for ourselves if it's rational or irrational. And if it's irrational fear, then I proceed forward and I try and just let that go. Hmm. Do you find that uh, when you let go of that and you push yourself, that sometimes that fear can make you stronger and, and push you even harder? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, because I found that with me all the time, that uh, when I find myself run out and I'm trying to on-site something, um, the thought of falling will actually motivate me more to push even harder. So. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's that interesting thing, like with red pointing a hard route or something, you start to have this fear of failure in a way. Um like, oh, I'm not going to do it, or oh, I'm going to fall. And that can almost start to become paralyzing for you. Like, it turns into a total mind game. And I think that's something that we all kind of have to recognize in ourselves and definitely, like, motivate us to go forward and, like, really try, regardless of the outcome. Just, like, be totally free in whatever happens. Yeah, you talked about that in another blog. I believe it was... um out on a ledge, what it's worth. You talked mm-hmm. about the ro- roller coaster ride of trying to red point a route. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think all of us have experienced that. You know, I, I mean, sometimes you just go, God, am I ever going to get this thing? Uh, you just get 
thumbs right in the same spot every single time, and it becomes like a mental mind block. How do you get past that? I mean, like, for me, I just have to tell myself to keep it light and fun. And if I'm not having fun, then maybe I walk away from it for a little while and come back to it later. Um, And then another thing that I've started to, like, really implement in my climbing, especially with hard red points, is, like, I'm just trying to actually learn something from the root. Like, it's teaching me something. It's teaching me about a certain movement. And I'm just going to be a good student and put my head down and just learn. And that's that's helped me a lot, actually, to, like, not have that many expectations with the outcome and just to be able to move freely. And when the sin comes, it's great. And if it doesn't come, then, well... I still have some work to do. Yeah, that's a great essay. It's like being a a student all the time. And, and in many ways, like martial arts and yoga. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is really interesting. Um, in Europe and in Spain, I think predominantly is where I've heard this, like the different crags, they refer to them as pools of rock. Pools. Which I think is really cool. Yeah, schools of rock. Oh, schools of rock. Schools, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I tell friends of mine who are, you know, trying to get into climbing and, and they want to get good. I say, you know, treat it like martial arts where you're practicing sequence of moves, just like you would in martial arts where you got to learn a certain kata. you, you got to figure out exactly how your body needs to move and then practice it over and over and over. It becomes second nature. And, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are starting to realize that. It is schools of rock. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a cool concept. Now, when you're training, are you visualizing moves in a particular order, like a sequence you're trying to get good at? Sometimes, yes. Um, so, like, if there's, like, a specific route that I want to train for, um, I'll try and, like, uh, make those moves on the climbing wall or just, like, kind of simulate them and then do, like, four-by-fours into those moves. Um just, yeah, just so that I learn it better or that, yeah, it's kind of like second nature, like you say. It's like that muscle memory is already in there so that when I go to the root, I don't have to, like, keep trying to get the muscle memory on the root. It's already a little bit implemented in myself before I start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a really smart way of training. Yeah. yeah. When uh, I watch you training there, what do you exercise, if you're going to share with the listeners here, what three exercise do you think gives you the biggest bang for the buck? You know, it's interesting. Um, we don't have any weightlifting in that video, but I would say the deadlift has been amazing and helping with just like my general overall strength and capacity. And I recommend it for interesting. everybody. Yeah. Um, I, I, one, I just really enjoy it. I think it's pretty fun. And two, it has made me just more solid feeling overall. Hmm. Um, and it's increased my power, like my dynamic power in my legs and like middle core. Uh, I think um, dead hangs on the hangboard are really good. Um, either like negative weight, body weight, and then eventually adding weight, all of those are really good. Um, and then the core exercises, like the TRX has become super popular in the last few years. And I think it's it's really good for, like, maintaining or developing tips-to-toes strengths. Yeah, because your fitness level, holy cow. I mean, uh, when I see 
your workout routines. <laughs> that, was Very impressive. Brutal, that, that was a brutal workout routine. Um, a friend of ours designed that program for us, and it was pretty rough. I don't know. I can't say that I would recommend that program to anyone, honestly. I think we were getting, like, borderline overtrained. Um, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty <laughs> It was reminding me of uh, Tom Randall and Pete Whitaker when they were training yeah. for century tracks. Like, holy shit, you guys are crazy. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And then, you know, we would go to the gym. And it was like four days in a row for six hours a day, and the people at the gym wow. were like, "Oh my god, you guys are here again." <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you get yourself ready to do a route, and you're got that, you know, the the butterflies coming up. How do you deal with that negative chatter that's going on in your head? Do you have a special technique you use? Um. I do. I, like, take maybe, like, 10 deep breaths, close my eyes, tell myself to relax, that it's just practice, that I'm just, like, punching the clock, like I'm going to work. And it definitely, it, like, changes me. It changes my whole vibe. I don't have, like, the butterflies anymore. I'm just relaxed. It's a good way of doing that. That's what I do. I just sit there and just practice breathing. Yeah. It seems, like, it seems like after the third or fourth breath, I'm... My nerves are calmed. Yeah. You know, all this uh, this training and everything, it just takes a tremendous amount of commitment, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, it's almost like a full-time job, you know? Especially <laughs> to you. <laughs> How much time do you think about climbing? Is it 24-7? <laughs> um, it's a lot. Uh, I can't say 24-7, but, you know, it definitely occupies at least, like, 12 hours of the day. <laughs> <laughs> the rest you're sleeping and dreaming about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so do you think you're climbing to live or are you living to climb? You know... Is there a difference? <laughs> huh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I love it so much, but in the last five years, um, I've like started to focus on other things so that climbing isn't just like the one thing that I have, like, all of my energy towards. Um, I really started to get into holistic nutrition, and I almost love that as much as I love climbing. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's been, it's been an interesting uh, road to find, like, that balance and, like, what's a good amount of climbing, what doesn't feel too obsessive, what feels just right. And I think that's come with being getting older too, like I'm not as young, so I definitely need to take more rest days, and it takes me a little longer to recover. And during those like rest days, you know, I'm like doing other things that I also really enjoy. Um, but it's like you know, I'm in it for the long haul. Like I hope to be like Fred Becky and climbing until I'm like 90. So maybe I'm like living to climb in a way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I definitely fall into that category. You know, if people ask me, so uh, what's climbing mean to you? I said, God, you know, I really think about it. I think I really climb to live, and I live to climb. It gives me meaning to life. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, about, for about sure. simple as I can put it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that 100%. Like, it is the one thing that gives me, like, hands down the most 
meaning in life, I think. Like, it's given me a purpose. It's given me a direction. I think it saved me in a way. I was like your typical unhappy, disgruntled teenager who just didn't know what to do. And I was lucky to find climbing, and it definitely gave me something to, like, strive for. Yeah, think about how much different your life would have been if you hadn't left the South. Yeah, totally. You might not even get into climbing. Exactly. I would probably be there, like, really unhealthy with a bunch of kids. Yeah, I was going to say, four kids. You know? Yeah, exactly. An alcoholic living in a trailer. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) And you probably would have voted for Trump. (laughs) Yes, because my whole family did, so why not? (laughs) (laughs) So so did most of mine. (laughs) (sighs) Oh, that's a whole other subject. But, yeah. uh, how old are you now? I'm 37. 37. Nice. Uh, what do you see yourself like in 10 years? You know, um, definitely still climbing. I hope that, like, uh, I am a more, like, well-rounded and knowledgeable um, nutritional therapist. That is, like, a big goal of mine right now. Um, I don't know. I think that we'll still be in Bishop. I think we'll have a house there. I think we'll still be traveling quite a bit to climb. I mean, I'll be 47, so it'll be interesting to see where I'm at. Well, I can see you being someone really special, like the physiotherapist you met in Slovenia. Where I mean, that would be amazing. I would love to be someone like that. Well, you already are. You're just kind of moving in that direction where people will be coming to you for advice and they'll be wanting nutritional advice, but they'll be getting a little bit more than that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for saying that. Yeah. You know, your husband has played a major role in your life and not only as a partner, but as a videographer and a collaborator in your films. What's next? Do you have an, another film project in mind? Yeah, actually, we're working on a film right now. Um, this past fall, we took a trip to um, Germany and Austria, uh, primarily to climb in the limestone Alps in Austria. Um, and we made a little film about climbing this route called Walker vom Hocker, which is a Kurt Albert Wolfgang Bullock route. And the first grade eight route put up um, in the mountains there. And um, yeah, we're, just, we're making a funny little film about, like, how it came to be that we went to climb this route. And I, I think it's going to be pretty good little film. Well, right on. I, you know, I hope you keep making them because uh, we're all enjoying it. And uh, keep writing these blogs. I mean, uh, my God, you've written a lot of blogs. Holy cow. Uh, <laughs> has writing always been a major part of your life? Yeah, um, definitely. I started keeping a journal when I was quite small, like five years old. I think I got my first one. Um, And I've been writing almost every day since then, really. And uh, my grandmother has been, like, super encouraging with my writing. And she always said, like, just write it it down. Anything you think or you want to say or you think you might want to share, just write it down. Just keep writing every day, and it will start to come easier and easier. Maybe one day... You'll realize, like, you want to be a writer, or maybe you want to write a book. Like, she's always just kind of been putting this in the back of my mind. I think that's been there for a while. Well, I could see your blogs becoming a book after a while. I mean, uh, holy, you know, you just look at this whole thing and just go, how many people out there are actually writing about their lives in the way that you have? And there aren't that many. Mm-hmm. And, and the stories that you're sharing are just great. Uh, 
Yeah, thanks. I would I would yeah. like to put a book, like a compilation um, together. I think it would be pretty good. Have, are you familiar with um, Ron Kalk's book, Spirit of the Rock? No, I've heard of it, and I have I get it on my list to check out. Is it good? It's kind of, yeah, it is good. It's like little vignette stories, which I think is kind of cool. It's like an interesting model to follow in a way. Wow. Ben, definitely have to check that out. You know, how, how important do you feel it is to capture the first female ascent? You've been doing a lot of that as well. Um, I mean, I, it's funny because I'm a little bit, like, mixed about it. Um, like, for me, I guess it's not so much like, oh, I'm the first woman. Like, I've been flagging on that way mostly for people who are short. <laughs> Um, because I'm five foot the first tall, short person ascent. The first short person ascent, and it, it's like it helps with friends' kids. They're like, "Oh, hey, Katie, have you done this? Do you think so? Like, do you think my son Brandon would be able to do that?" Um, so, like in a way, it's it's like for my friends, their kids, and then for other women that are like around the Sierra who are like. Because the Sierra, like, climbing in the Sierra can be, like, a little intimidating. Maybe you feel like it's run out, the bolts are old, or there's really bad gear, or whatever. And I think, like, marking it as a first female ascent kind of signals to them, like, hey, you know what, this chick did it, I can do it, too. Exactly. And, yeah, and that, for me, is, like, the most important of all of that. I don't think it makes a lot of difference, because I, I climb with a lot of women, and they all are kind of watching each other, and if one of the shorter climbers, shorter female climbers gets up there and does it, then all of a sudden I can see their shoulders go back, and they all are confident that, hey, I think I can do it that. So, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, kudos. and it's been, it's been <laughs> interesting. Like, the last couple of years I've participated in the uh, Flash Foxy uh, Women's Climbing Festival in Bishop, mm-hmm. and it's totally that kind of vibe, like they see another girl do something and they feel confident that they can do it now. And it's pretty awesome to watch that Um, because, you know, sure, it's like 2017 and there's like almost 9 billion people in the world and so there's like loads of climbers, but still the majority are male. And the majority of like the groups you're going to see out is going to be males with like a couple of females. And... You're pretty much going to be following the guys around to whatever it is that they want to do. I mean, that's just like kind of how it is. Um, and to have groups of women come together and like support each other and get psyched on each other and motivate each other has been like really awesome to see. And it's been, I mean, that's so different than how it's been since I've been climbing. So I think it's really cool. Finally, what words of inspiration would you like to share with a triple black community? You know, just, like, be inspired and follow that inspiration and don't be fearful, you know. Just go for it without hesitation and without fear, and you'll be pretty surprised of what's out there and what you can accomplish. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Well, Katie, I can't thank you enough. Seriously, I really appreciate you taking the time out to share this conversation with us, and I can hardly re- wait to read your next blog and watch your next video. So all the best of luck to you and your husband, Ben. Well, thanks a lot, Dan. Have a happy Easter. 
Yeah, you as well. Take care of yourself. <laughs> Thanks, you too. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> that, wow, that's about all I can say. Is that was just an incredible conversation. There were so many takeaways. I'm not sure where to begin. Seriously, you'd have to listen to this several times because she was just giving us a wealth of information of all the different things that she has experienced over her life. But one of the things that really, really, really stood out for me, something that I have really shared continuously with my friends, is this. Be a student of climbing. Treat each climbing area as a school of rock where you can study a particular style like you would if you were practicing martial arts, dance, or yoga. As the late Bruce Lee said, learn the principle, abide by the principle, and dissolve the principle. In other words, master your skills, my friends, and believe that anything you can conceive, you can achieve. Until next week, my friends, this is Dan Goodwin with Troll Black TV, your entertainment source for extreme sports.